All right, so the eleven dub cast this week is going to start off a little a little differently um, due to some obvious circumstances, and, and we want to start off by talking about Costa Cara George a little bit. Um, you know, obviously this is something that has really impacted the Ohio State community and family, and it's incredibly sad. Uh, Costa is not a guy that I, you know, personally knew or talked to, and I just kind of knew about him in passing, but. Um, I do know that he had a big impact while he was on the team. And, you know, I, I just want to recognize this dude for who he was and, and how he's been remembered by his teammates because, you know, ultimately I think that's maybe the most important thing here. And, and I, I just hope that, you know, we can – one of the great things about sports is that you are kind of a family at a certain point. And even though you're not flesh and blood, even the, the sports reporters, the fans, everybody's associated with the program – things like this can cause people to really come together and, and help each other out. And, and ultimately that's what I want to see. I mean, there was a vigil, um, on the, uh, the oval for him a couple nights ago. And, and that, that's beautiful. And, and that's, I think what sports really should be about. So, you know, I, I hope everybody within the sound of our voice and, you know, who has heard about this, um, you know, think about his family, keep them in uh, your thoughts and prayers and just hopefully, we can all come together, grow from this, and also, you know, be able to respond to people who might be suffering from uh, depression, mental illness, anything like that. Because as someone who has seen that, you know, up close and firsthand, that's that's something I think we all have to be super aware of. And, um, you know, if if one less person can kind of, like, suffer from this and then we can, like, maybe help somebody out, like, that, that to me is what's really important. And, I don't know. It's it's a big deal, and it's something that I know a lot of people are still struggling with, um, you know, as Ohio State fans. But this is something that hopefully we can all like, not grow from, because I don't want to say that's like you know it's not on anybody, but it, it's something that we can like become better for, and and that's ultimately what I want out of this, because it's it's a hard thing to deal with, and it's incredibly sad for his family. But if we support each other, we'll become stronger through it, and. I don't know. That that's this. Those are my thoughts. My scattered random thoughts on a Tuesday <laughs> night. Um, but I don't know. How how do you feel about it? What, what what's your hot take? My hot take. My hot take really is is that number one. Uh, you know, it's obviously very shocking and sad. It's something that you never want to have to cover a story like this. If you're in the media or, or a blogger or anything like that, you don't want to have to deal with these types of stories. But you know, unfortunately, it's part of life, and and you have to deal with them sometimes. That. Uh, you know, as a as a parent, it, it it affected me pretty deeply. I have a a daughter that's uh, close to his age and, and off at off at college. And you know, you know, once they leave the house, you really kind of feel like you've lost control of them. And all you can yeah. do is you know rely on them and and hope that you know you've done a good job and that they've got a good support system around them. And 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 Costa Cara George had all of those things, and still something went wrong. So. Um, so it was incredibly tough. I was very sad Sunday night. I was really happy to see the outpouring from the university uh, Sunday night on the Oval, and uh, and that was pretty uh, that was pretty amazing uh, because yeah. you know really he wasn't a well-known player. He wasn't a star. I mean it doesn't make a difference because a life is a life. But it's you know you grow attached to players that you see on the on the field and that you watch on television. And so some some nameless, faceless walk-on that you've never got to experience, um, you know. They're people too, and it's nice to see that that the entire university rallied around that. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the ultimate point. I think you're absolutely right. A life is a life, and you know, it's like what he said. You know, you win with people. People are important. Individuals are important, and it doesn't matter. 
whether he was a, a senior walk-on or like a four-year scholarship player, it doesn't matter. I mean, he's a human being, and that's how we get better is is by helping each other out as human beings. Um, and I know that his family will appreciate any kind of support that anybody can give them, um, just thoughts, prayers, anything like that. And I know that we'll become better as a community by doing that. So that's that's what I hope for us. And, you know, yeah, we beat Michigan. That's that's great. But what's even better is if we can support each other and, and make sure that this is a, a community instead of just a, a loose group of people who happen to like a sports team. So right. um, just all the best to his family. I mean, we've, we've got to talk about football and these other things, but obviously this is a much bigger thing. And I just I kind of wanted to talk about it at the top of the, the dubcast tonight. Um, but moving on, let's talk about the the football game. Um, it was interesting. Uh, it did not start out. Did not start out. I, I guess ideally, uh, you don't really want to be tied with a crappy Michigan team going into the half. But you know, Ohio State kind of turned it on the second half, and then of course we had the injury to JT Barrett. So that's you know, we won obviously, and that's mm-hmm. great. You never are sad about a win against Michigan, but. You know, the, the loss of Barrett is, is a difficult one uh, for Ohio State maybe to kind of bounce back from. We have Cardell Jones. We have the baby rhino in our pocket. But <laughs> um, but it's going to be very interesting to see how the team kind of evolves, you know, from this this uh, this time on out. Yeah, you know, Johnny, they always say the old cliche is that you can throw out the records when Ohio State and Michigan play. And, right. you know, once <laughs> yeah. again, you, you see a team that Ohio State should blow off the field just like last year. And they struggle with them, and because it's it is a game where a guy like Devin Gardner, who couldn't get out of his own way against Northwestern, um, suddenly turns into Joe Montana for half a game. Um, it isn't that isn't that always the case? Like there are guys who, if if football made any sense, right? If football was at all logical at the college level. There are guys that you could say, okay, he's not very good at being a quarterback, therefore he will not play very well. And then you have just this crazy alternate universe that collegiate football exists in where guys like Devin Gardner will just all of a sudden become all-world for one game mm-hmm. or even the quarterback for, like, say, Virginia Tech, <laughs> yeah. who has not been able to complete a pass since that game apparently. Um, you know, it, it's just it's it's ridiculous, but – you know, Michael, I, I'll be honest. I did not used to buy into the whole, well, you know, it's you got to throw out the records. It's not like any other game. Because I used to think if one team is good and one team is bad, it doesn't matter what the you know the game situation is. It doesn't matter if it's a rivalry game. If one team is better than the other team, they will win. Mm-hmm. But you're right. I mean, it, it's there's just something about this game and a lot of other rivalry games that are just nuts. And it's just, yeah, it, it was crazy to watch. I, you know... <laughs> Was I wasn't ever really nervous because I still believed in the talent disparity, but man, it was it was a weird game. Um, I didn't get a lot of pleasure out of it. I wrote about that on Sunday. I wasn't like all hyped about it uh, afterwards, you know. And part of that is because you know a lot of it is tempered to the fact that you lose a quarterback uh, that you know is a potential Heisman candidate. Um, but yeah, it was it was really interesting, and, and I'm personally really interested. In this Saturday, because I think that is going to be a fascinating game to watch, uh, especially since I don't really uh, am going to put a lot of faith in them to win. So we'll see. <laughs> yeah, it will be interesting. One thing I thought about the Ohio State Michigan game, and I'll, I'll tell you, I was at the I was at Earl Bruce's last game when they played in Michigan. Oh wow! And that was a very very average Ohio State team. Sure. And they got down early, and it would have been easy for them to get blown off the field, but they came out in the second half and took it to Michigan and won the game. 
and, you know, carried her all off the field on their shoulders. And, and that kind of thing can happen in, in this game. It's just an uncanny thing that, you know, I think we saw a few times in the Rich Rod era where Trestle just blew him off the field. But other, oh, yeah. other than that, it's always been a close game. It's always been, you know, decided by, you know, relatively few points. And, you know, games are closer than they should be. And upsets happen. And I'm, we're just glad that the upset didn't happen here. And that, um, you know, Ohio State's offense finally stopped getting in its own way in the second half, started driving the ball down the field. Um, and, you know, the defense didn't play as well as it, it normally does. But you got to look at the other side of the field and say, look what Michigan did. They did a lot of good things. They, they called some great trick plays when the when it was the right time to do it. They yep. they were able to. I mean, you didn't see Devin Funches dropping passes like you've seen in other <laughs> games. You didn't see other than. The very beginning of the game and the very end of the game, you didn't see Devin Gardner make mistakes, and um, you know guys, and, and guys were making that. guys were making diving catches, and I'm like, of course they're going to make that catch in this game. They couldn't do it against right. anyone else, <laughs> right? But they're doing it today. So, and for that flash of confidence or confidence, confidence and confidence, <laughs> yes, uh, Brady Hook has been rewarded with a three-year extension worth uh, twenty-eight million dollars. So that's that's great. That's good to hear. Oh, if only that were true. If only, <laughs> yeah, Brady be gone. Um, yeah. you, you know, it's, but he should have been. I mean, no yeah. one. No, I don't think there's anyone who's going to argue like he got a raw deal here, right? I mean, let's face it. He's lucky he didn't get rung up after the concussion thing happened. Oh yeah, with Shane Morris. So he he was on borrowed time anyway, as far as anyone was concerned. And then to not make a bowl game at Michigan, that's like yeah. that's that's a pretty big cardinal sin, not making a bowl well, game. There's just been diminishing returns ever since he got to Ann Arbor. I mean, he, every year he's gotten worse. Right. Uh, and that's, <laughs> you know what? And it, it's funny because a lot of times they say, you know, a coach will struggle because they're dealing with recruits from the previous coach, right? right. Like, oh, man, you know, he's, he'll, once he gets his guys in there, it'll be great. Uh-huh. And it feels like the more of his dudes he gets in, the worse they have performed, uh, which is really funny because that was always like the, the big smack on Rich Rodriguez that he couldn't recruit. Mm-hmm. Um so I don't know, you know, it, it's, I I don't think, you know, it, it was one thing with, with Rich Rodriguez where we could say, you know, maybe he doesn't have the support of the university because he's not the quote unquote Michigan man. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Brady Hoke was every bit the prototype that, that Michigan fans seem to have wanted. Uh, you know, a defensive minded coach who's not super goofy. He's one of them, you know, he's from the Midwest. He's from Kettering, which drives me up a wall because that's where I was born. <laughs> Uh, you know, so like, it, it's just funny to me because he really did seem to me to represent, uh, everything that Michigan fans would want in a coach except for competence, you know? And, and so he's out and it, I, at some point they're going to have to get out of their own way and hire somebody who is good at their job instead of like trying to micromanage them if they're from a different place or give them too much leeway just because they're from the place that they like or have the attitude that they like, like they got to find somebody good like that. that, That's just it. They got to find somebody good. And it, you know, Brady Hoke, I thought Brady Hoke was going to be a decent coach at Michigan, especially after the first year where they, they did very well. Mm. Um, But finding dudes from like San Diego state aren't, it's not going to cut it anymore. You have to find somebody established with a record of success. High state did it. High state got super lucky. Um, but if Bo Pelini can get fired after several nine and three seasons, they got to find somebody better. 
You know, that it's it's Michigan, and they should have higher standards than that. Right. So right. we'll see what they do in the future. But, man, I, I am, like, really down on their administration right now because they have just – they failed on a lot of levels in the past two or three years, and it's it's bad. They need to turn this thing around real quick. Yeah, they well, they blew it up. They got rid of Dave Brandon. They got rid of Brady Hoke. And, you know, right. I'm, I'm sure they probably won't be keeping much of the current assistant staff. So we'll see what happens up north. Uh, I think the bigger takeaway from – from the game, obviously, is JT Barrett's injury and the fact that he's gone for the season uh, after putting up some incredible numbers, uh, break, yeah. breaking Drew Brees' you know conference record for touchdowns responsible for, breaking the 2006 record set by Troy Smith uh, at Ohio State with 30 touchdown passes, and not just breaking them, but breaking them in, in fewer games and then having several games left, and, and those, those records right. could have been untouchable had he been able to keep going. you got to feel bad for him. The good news, Johnny is that JT Barrett left with a one-touchdown lead, and the team rallied and stretched it out to a three-touchdown lead uh, right. at one point before the garbage time touchdown at the end. Yeah, and you know what? They I think they responded really, really well. I still have some concerns about the defense overall. I mean, I don't even remember the name of the running back that they were trotting out there for Michigan. <laughs> like, But before his injury, he was killing them on, on, on defense. He was just run over. He was just running them over. And, you know, it's just, I feel like they're wearing out. I don't think that's that they're getting worse. I don't think the defensive line has gotten worse somehow against the run. I just think they're tired. I think this season has really taken a huge toll on these guys. And unfortunately, you've got Melvin Gordon coming into town, who is just going to be, like, by far their most difficult test of the entire season uh, in terms of running back. So I, I just think you've got a lot of, you got a lot of problems. Uh, going into Saturday, but that's that's okay, in my opinion, because that makes things really interesting too. So I, I'm actually really excited, and, and we're gonna have uh, Matt Finkus on here to talk about you know Finkus on football mm-hmm. um, to get into it a little bit. But I'm actually really excited about Saturday because first of all, I don't expect Ohio State to win, so that means kind of the, the burden is off a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but also, I am like incredibly curious to see what the offense looks like because it could be anything, and I'm I'm really I think that'll be really neat. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I'm excited, and I know all the people who are listening are excited. And speaking of those people who are listening, let's let's answer some ask us anything questions. We're gonna we're getting to the Big Ten championship game here in a second, but I wanna I wanna find out what the people are saying. Yeah, we can do that. So how how can they ask us anything? How can these people ask us all sorts of things? Okay, well you can ask us anything, even if you're Michigan running back Drake Johnson. <laughs> Thank you. That's the name. Um you can ask us anything by emailing us, and you can do that by emailing dubcast at elevenwarriors.com. Spell it all out. It's all words, no numerals. Dubcast at elevenwarriors.com. Or you could hit us up on Twitter. We have a, a handy dandy Dubcast account. Eleven Dubcast is the account on the Twitter. So at Eleven Dubcast on Twitter. Or you can hit Johnny or me on the Twitters as well. I'm 11W underscore Michael and Johnny is Johnny11W. That's right. Uh, so we have we have some questions uh, tonight. So what are what are these questions? Let's go. Let's let's head up. Let's do the first one. All here. right. So we got a couple questions from Tyler Hampton, and he uh, he hit us up on the, the Twitter feed there, the Twitter account. He wants to know, do you think Braxton would accept a role as an H back or running back next season? No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm going to answer that real quick. No, I don't think so. I, I you know, 
And I think it's unfortunate sometimes because uh, I do think that occasionally ego gets in the way of uh, football players maybe going to a more ideal position. But I think we've had this conversation, Michael. Like, if his if his arm can't throw, if his shoulder, like you're you're absolutely right. If you're the one I talked to about. Um, it's not going to hold the ball real well either, right? As a running back, plus with his in, you know history of injuries, I don't know that you want to expose him as an H back or something uh, on a consistent basis. So I I, I don't know. I, I don't think he would, to be honest. I, I think he wants to try to be a quarterback, and and honestly, we tend to forget because of this crazy season. But holy crap, he's a great quarterback. Yeah, he is, he is an incredible quarterback. Yeah, Tyler. I, thanks for the question, by the way. I think it's really premature for anybody to be talking about Braxton Miller next year until we see what kind of shape that shoulder is going to be in after right. after a year has gone by because it is a long, long process to recover from the surgery. He may yeah. not be ready to play football in any capacity until the season starts. Uh, right. He hasn't even cleared to throw the ball yet. Yeah. So we don't know that the shoulder is going to be okay. If it is okay, I expect him to go out and fight for his job as quarterback. That's what he wants to do. That's what he's good at. So he's always excelled at it. And I don't expect him to back down from somebody younger just because they went out and had a great season this year. Um, you know, maybe we'll see some funky alignments where both guys are on the field at the same time. And, and, you know, you never know one of them might run. The other might run. Either one of them could throw. That would be really awesome. Uh, (laughs) <laughs> I actually come up with this a few years ago, uh, this this idea of a multi-quarterback wishbone offense, where if you had enough like real athletic quarterbacks, you could you know you could run the triple option, and any of those guys could pass, and any of those guys could run. It would just be a nightmare for how the hilarious defense. would it be? How hilarious would it be to have Braxton Miller, J.T. Barrett, uh, Jalen Marshall, and Cardell Jones all in the same backfield? <laughs> It would be awesome. You wouldn't have any amazing. idea. You would have no idea what was coming. Are they going to run so it? Or are they going to throw it? Who's going to have the ball? That would be so great. I would love that. Um, yeah, I think that would be pretty sweet. So maybe that's maybe that's the ultimate uh, solution. All right, what's the next question we got? All right, so Tyler had a second question, and thanks for both questions because nobody else stepped up this week because I think uh, Thanksgiving, I think, probably threw a lot of people off. Well, that's um, fair. He wants to know – the uh, favorite cereal brand for each member of the coaching staff. Johnny, I know you've got to have good, uh, strong opinions about this. I do. Um, Urban Meyer, i got to tell you something. Urban Meyer is not a guy, I think, who likes a lot of – he eats his Wheaties. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Like, that's it. He eats his Wheaties, and that's it. Uh, yeah, we've talked about that before. He's a Wheaties guy. He's right. Got- He's definitely a Wheaties guy. Uh, Marathi, um, probably like – I don't know. Like – Pencil shavings, maybe. <laughs> like, some a lot of grit. Na- something like, like nails. nails yeah. Just like straight nails. Uh, <laughs> nails with oil. He just douses them in oil and eats them. Um, Herman, I don't know. What's the Probably smartest? Lucky Charms. I feel like he's that. He, no, he's definitely a Lucky Charms guy. I think so. He's, I don't think he's like yeah. one of those really super smart guys who, like, you know. Kicks a life. Me, you know, something like total you know because it's a cerebral more of a cerebral cereal total you know yeah you know what that's a good one lucky charms lucky charms is carrie combs what am i saying (laughs) carrie combs eats lucky charms and he takes out all the non-marshmallow bits he just eats all the marshmallows of lucky charms that's it that's funny because i was gonna say he's the guy who who um buys the the version of captain crunch crunch berries that's nothing but crunch berries (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's 
<laughs> also, also probably true. Uh, and Luke Fickle just has cold pizza for breakfast. So, yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, maybe so. Uh, do we hit everybody? Yeah, that's enough. That's enough. Yeah, okay. So we, we, I could spend. I mean, honestly, I could spend another twenty minutes on this, but we do have we do have a time limitation. Yes, on this. we do. But and it's you know it's there's a lot of news this week and there's a lot of stuff to I talk agree. about. So thanks again for everybody who uh, everybody consisting of Tyler Hampton who sent in questions this week. We can help you with all of your problems, all of life's problems. It doesn't have to be football related. Write to us eleven dub or I'm sorry dubcast at eleven warriors dot com or on Twitter at eleven dubcast. Darn tootin'. All right, joining us this week, as he will every week uh, for the foreseeable future till the end of time, is our very good friend, <laughs> Max Vickis. Uh, I didn't know it was this kind of commitment. Wow, come on. <laughs> hey, once you're dubcast, you're dubcast for life. Um, <laughs> all right, well, thank you so much for coming on and, and talking with us. As we were talking, as I just told you, you know, I am like really excited to talk to you this week because. First of all, I have no idea what's going to happen on Saturday, especially in offense. Like, yeah. None. So I, yeah. I, I'm really, really, really curious as to how you think the offensive coaching will change. What kind of things Tom Herman or Meyer will try to cook up for Saturday now that their you know, Heisman contending quarterback is, is not in the picture? I mean, how is this going to look? You know, I don't think anyone knows, uh, and, and that, that's the million-dollar question. We, we don't know anything of what's going on. I talked to Tom Herman. I've talked to, uh, to, to Tim Kite, you know, the guy who does the, the leadership training for those guys, specifically right, right. about Cordell Jones and, and, you know, what kind of – I mean, not, not what the game plan is going to be, but what kind of kid is he? I mean, that's what I wanted to know. I mean, is, is, he, yeah. is he the kid that sent the tweet two years ago, or is he <laughs> – is he is he more mature? Is he better than that? I mean, is he the same kid that we that we think that is going to be there? Is he the guy that just runs the ball, or can he throw the ball too? Um, you know, my biggest takeaway from the spring practice when I watched Cardell Jones was the guy has an absolute rocket launcher for an arm. I mean, it is uncanny. I don't know if I've ever seen a guy with a stronger arm than Card- than Cardell Jones has. Now, is he as accurate as JT Barrett? Probably not. Um, can he make some throws that JT Barrett can't make? Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Are they going to call on him to make those throws on Saturday? That's the big question. I mean, I, I just think that with with Cardell Jones in there, it's an unknown quantity. The one thing that I said that again that, that was reassuring to me was that that those guys, you know, both said, you know, hey, he, the team believes in him. They they are behind him. They think they can win with him, and that's really what matters most. If the team believes in him, they don't view this as an, oh, my God, the sky is falling into the world. We lost JT Barrett. That goes a long, long way with these guys. I mean, that goes a long, long way with this entire team. Now, you're going to probably work into a, a simpler game plan, you know, so, some simple throws, get him on the move, we'll get, wherever he's comfortable. What, what, you know, if I'm Tom Herman, I'm going to Cardell Jones and saying, you know, get, we're, we're, give me 15 plays that you feel absolutely comfortable running against anything. I mean, against the against the blitz package, against a soft zone, against the press man, whatever it is. Give, give me your 15 plays that you feel, or give me your five plays against each kind of of defense, and and what do you feel most comfortable running? That's going to be my basis of how I start to build my game plan. Whatever Cardell Jones feels comfortable with in the passing game. I'm going to go to him and ask him that, and then what he gives me back is what I'm going to start to, to build my foundation off of. Now, then from there, you can look at what Wisconsin does and try to game plan 
some of those plays or, or some different plays in there and let him work on those throughout the week to, to improve on that. The other thing, I think you're going to see a lot more of Jalen Marshall, and you might even see Jalen Marshall throwing the football. I mean, and that's going to be something that is uh, that, that, that people have talked about, but I, I think that it's going to be a possibility and maybe even a reality. You know, I covered Jalen Marshall in high school. I've done a couple of his games, uh, and he can throw the football. I mean, he's a, he's a multi-talented guy and he can definitely throw the football in certain situations. And so that's probably going to be something that you're going to see. I mean, I, if there was ever time to, to, as Tom Herman said, empty the clip, I mean, this game is it. I mean, there's going to be some need to impress the, uh, the, the committee. Uh, I think that the committee's in a holding pattern right now as it comes to Ohio State. And this is, a, this is a, one of those things where now you're an underdog and, and you're playing – Almost all those same roles that you were playing against Michigan State, uh, you're back into playing those against Wisconsin. And so I, I think that that could play into to the hands because I think Urban Meyer coaches exceedingly well in those type of scenarios. But, but Jalen Marshall is a guy I think that you're going to see throw the football. I think that you're also going to see, um, like I said, Cardell Jones within the offense. I think that that's going to be the major difference from what we've seen of him before is, you know, we haven't got a chance to see what he can actually do in the offense. So it is an unknown, but, I, you know, talking to the coaching staff, talking to, the, to, to those guys, I think they have a lot of confidence in what he can do. Matt, let me ask you, let me flip the, to the other side of the ball. A lot of people talking about the rush defense in the last several games, not getting it done. What are you seeing? We kind of feel like maybe the line is getting a little worn down. What are you seeing as a former defensive player uh, that this defense is doing that it needs to stop doing in order to be able to contain, you know, one of the best players, not just running backs, but players in the country in Melvin Gordon. You know, the main thing is they don't, they're not getting off blocks. Um, it's, it's really, you know, run defense isn't rocket science. It's not, you know, you're not out scheming anybody. It's my guy against your guy. Can your guy block my guy longer? Can my guy get off the block and make a tackle? Can my safeties take good angles? Can my linebackers fit where they're supposed to fit? Um, It's really simplistic football, and I think that if you break it down and you look at it, that really there's a couple things that that Ohio State hasn't been doing with the run defense. One is getting off blocks. They've, They've been staying on blocks way, way, way too long, and they have not been able to disengage and get to the ball carrier uh, then, two, I think it, you, you look into the backfield a little bit, and, and that's probably, you know, the, the getting off blocks is the front seven. You look into the backfield, and the safeties uh, in this new defense, they're not taking good angles. They're not in the correct position. And I think that's really the main thing that you see coming out of that. Now, I guess one of the weird things, and, I, and I'm not going to have a really good answer for you here, but what I've been telling people is we always play good defense against Wisconsin. I don't know what it is. I don't know how it comes about. I don't know how we do it, but we always play good rush defense against the University of Wisconsin. And <laughs> that's very true, actually. And, yeah. <laughs> and I think that that's what we're, what's going to happen here. I mean, it's it's a very basic, you know, running game that they have. Yes, Melvin Gordon is exceedingly talented, but I, I think that as much as much as Buckeye fans don't want to hear this, if you can keep him in front of you, you look at what with, what Northwestern did with Melvin Gordon. The rest are 230 yards, and they lost. Right. If, if you can limit Melvin Gordon from making the big plays and scoring the touchdowns, if you make them drive down the field in chunks, make put them in passing situations, which they don't want to be in every so often, 
you're going to you're going to wear that offense down, and they're not going to feel comfortable. If you can get get them behind on the score at all, then then you're going to be in a good position with them as well. So, again, I don't have the the, the physics to it. I don't have the schematics to it. But the Buckeyes <laughs> always play good rush defense against the University of Wisconsin, and, and I'm I'm expecting to see it again. Isn't that isn't that an interesting statement on college football in general? You know, like. Because I remember even back when I was in college, you know, in like the early mid two thousands, like if a running back gets a hundred yards on us, I was mad, right? I was like, "There's no way that should happen." And now it just feels like it's so different now because the game is spread out so much. Um, you know, I was going to ask you, like, are you worried about you know protecting the edge, like holding the you know the edge of the line? But like, I, I think you're absolutely right. Like, it's it's really interesting that you know if we hold Melvin Gordon to like one hundred twenty five, one hundred fifty yards, I'm like, all right. I think we got a shot to win that game. You know, I, I just, I just think it's a really interesting commentary on football has kind of changed over the past couple of years. Um, and furthermore, like how do you, so we're looking at like the college playoff right now. Right. And you've got a lot of kind of unorthodox teams in the mix, but like, how do you feel about Ohio state's position right now? Because it is right now, it's one of the most unorthodox orthodox teams in like the top 10. If you look at overall personnel, I think, um, how do you feel about Ohio State's spot in the college football playoff right now? You know, I'm with the committee on this one. I, I, I think that it's a holding pattern, and I think that that's only fair. I think that you've got to put a, a, the Ohio State Buckeyes in a holding pattern until you see what they look like with JT Barrett at the helm. Now, do I think right. that JT Barrett needs to come out and throw for 300 yards? No, I don't. Because I think or if yeah, I mean, or, or, I'm sorry, Cardell Jones. I think if he comes out and has a good game, then, right. then the committee can look at that and say, okay, the first first start ever, came in, played against a very good defense. You know, maybe he rushes for 70, 80 yards and throws for 200. You know, that's a, that's a good enough effort, I think, to look at Urban Meyer and Tom Herman and say, okay, with <laughs> four weeks to prepare your new quarterback, we believe that you'll have him ready to go for this college football playoff. I, I don't think that that the committee is going to look at Cardell Jones to exceed and, and be JT Barrett and, and throw for 300 and rush for 100 and score four touchdowns. I just think that, that Cardell Jones has to be – really has to be just average. If he is just average and they win this football game – and the committee can look at it and say, okay, third-string quarterback, not getting reps. They've got four weeks to get him ready. And this is what we've seen of him so far. He, he didn't make a whole lot of big mistakes. He looks like it's pretty well, – man, Ezekiel Elliott ran the ball really well. Jalen Marshall, they've got some different things. The defense looked really well against Wisconsin. Yeah, I, I think that, that I can trust them to, to have him ready to go. Uh, that, I think, is all that is going to be required of the committee. I, I think that when you look at TCU and Baylor – which are really the, the, the other two contenders there. Um, you know, Baylor, yeah, they're going to get a quality win here uh, on their schedule. That would give them two, one over TCU and one over uh, Kansas State if they're able to win this weekend. I mean, Bryce Petty still being a question mark as to, I, I don't know how exactly in this day and age when you suffer a concussion on Saturday that you can come back and play the next week in, in, in anyone's concussion protocol. I mean, that's just a, I mean, a huge red flag for me. And then when you throw TCU in there and you look at TCU's resume and they don't have the quality wins, they've got the same quality win that we have against Minnesota. Um, you know, you, you can throw that quality win against Kansas state in there. 
And then that's really it. I mean, I don't know if I put Oklahoma as a quality win. I mean, yeah, okay, but but it, it's not a major quality win. And I think where we're playing, and, and Wisconsin coming out, I believe they're 12 tonight. You know, having a win against a top 12 team and watching TCU beat up on Iowa State, I think the committee is going to give, if you look historically at how they voted, they put a lot of weight on quality wins. And if Ohio State can get a quality win against Minnesota, I think that catapults them above TCU. And, you know, I don't want to be the guy who says this, but I will be. There's <laughs> no way that the NCAA and ESPN doesn't want Ohio State in this. There's no <laughs> way that they don't want the fans, that they don't want the attendance that that is going to bring, that they yeah. don't want the, all, of, all of what Ohio State – the reason that we were playing, you know, in the national championship game in 07 and some of these bowl games in the mid-2000s that we had no business being in, that's, that's the same reason that there's a better-than-average chance that Ohio State, if they have a good enough game on Saturday, will get into this national championship game. And people can say, oh, no, it's just these, these you know, 12 people in a room. I don't know about you, but for me, to believe that ESPN and the NCAA are going to leave, I don't know, what, a couple – $20, $30 million decision just entrust 12 people in a room with it without having any kind of uh, influence in it? I don't buy that. I mean, I know you're never going to hear that or see that, but I mean, that, that's the reality of the situation. You look over the course of history, Ohio State has been in bowl games where they don't belong. And I'm not saying they don't belong, but I'm saying that, that that's a, an impetus. Teams want them, you know, programs want them, ESPN wants them, the TV wants I mean, you know, the, the web traffic wants that, the, the attendance at the bowls wants that. I mean, that's what sells tickets, and that's what moves the needle. So to think that ESPN doesn't would rather have TCU come in instead of Ohio State. You saying Texas I mean, Christian does not have the same fan base as Ohio State? Come on. I'm, yes, I'm exactly <laughs> saying that. I mean, and, and, and while it shouldn't be that way, I mean, there's that that that's a reality for me. I mean, and and I know I've talked with a lot of media guys here around Columbus, and it's the big unspoken thing. You know, when the, when the whole SEC bias was coming out and everybody said, well, you know, there's, there's SEC bias and they're trying to keep, you know, teams like Ohio State out. I never believed that the SEC – now, the SEC bias is a real thing, but they're just trying to guarantee that they get someone in the show. That's all they're trying to do. There, there's right. no way that ESPN wants Ohio State out of this. I mean, Ohio State, they have an analyst that his whole job is to is to troll Ohio State fans. I mean, why else do they pay more than that? Let's be honest. <laughs> I mean, Matt, that's the that's the reality of the situation. Yeah, well, it gets it gets views. I mean, that's yeah. the point. It gets views. People show to games. They watch the TV. Like that's that's the point. It's about getting eyeballs and earballs on uh, on what's going on. And that, you're absolutely right. It is monetarily driven, and I, I completely agree with you. I mean, they would love to see Ohio State in the playoff. Right. Um, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Michael. No, I was going to ask Matt. What do you What do you make of TCU jumping Florida State this week? And do you think there's any way in the world that if Florida State either loses close another close game, uh, if if they lose a close, let's say that let's say Florida State wins a very close game over Georgia Tech, very unconvincing, is there any way Florida State undefeated gets left out of the 14 playoff? If they do, it would be an absolute tragedy. But if they do, then they should disband the committee. Um, <laughs> I mean, it would be a joke. I mean, Florida State has not lost a game in two years, and you're going to leave them out because they, they, they've had some close games. I mean, that to me is, is – and maybe that's where I'm a little bit jaded of, of you know, playing in the 90s of, of knowing 
you know, how hard it is to win every football game. I mean, if you look back historically and just think about every season, when we get about halfway through the month of September, what's the talk always going to be? Well, what are we going to do when there's three or four unbeaten teams at the end of the year? When mm-hmm. has there ever been three or four unbeaten teams ever? When has there ever <laughs> been two? I mean, it just it, it doesn't happen. It's so hard to win. Marshall couldn't even do it. Yeah, I mean, it's so hard to win all of your football games, and there needs to be um, some respect for that. I mean, now you can seed them wherever you want to. I mean, if you think that they're the fourth best team out of those four, then that's fine. But I, I think that Florida State will not get left out. There's there's no way you can leave the defending national champion who has not lost a game. I mean, there's former coaches on that staff. I mean, Barry Alvarez likes the Scots, but he doesn't like it that much. <laughs> yeah, the reason I ask that is because we've seen them fall from first to th- from first all the way to fourth now while not losing a game. And it's, I've never seen this happen. Yeah. I mean, it is, it is interesting. I mean, and I guess that's, you know, what this committee was here for and it helps with those conversation and they're, they're you know, they're trying to build this um, and, and have the discussions on the talk radio shows and stuff. So I don't know if it's more than that. I mean, when I look at TCU, I just, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I watched him play against Texas, and you know, I'm talking to a guy on Twitter, and he's like, yeah, that Texas win, that's a quality win. I'm like, really? Texas is 6-6, six and six, so is our Maryland win a quality win? I mean, just because <laughs> it's the name on the front of the jersey. Right. So you, you've got to look at, yeah, I mean, you've got to look at exactly who, that they, who, who TCU has beat. And um, while I do believe that I think, I think TCU is better than Baylor, and, and maybe I'm, you know, the, that whole head-to-head thing, I don't think that when I watch TCU and when I watch Baylor, I think TCU is better than Baylor because at least TCU tries to play defense. Baylor doesn't right. even attempt to play defense. Right. Um, but I still think that, that TCU is susceptible to – when I see TCU, I see Oregon of the, of the, uh, of the 2000s. I, I see a team that, that loves to, to, to try to score and score and score, and that if they can make a play on defense, great. If not, it's not a big deal. Yeah, they're going to give some effort. But um, I don't know if they if they have the playmakers on the outside to, to compete at the level that we're talking about for the for the college football championship. I don't know if their receivers and skill guys are are up to that. Yeah, well, it's going to be really interesting to see how it plays out, especially after this coming weekend. And and Matt, thank you so much for coming on and, and talking with us. There's going to be a lot to break down next week, so I, I'm really excited for that. And yeah, we really appreciate it. Thanks, man. Always a pleasure, guys. Talk to you again next week. All right, joining us tonight is ESPN's Adam Rittenberg. Uh, thank you so much for coming on, and, and we've got so many things to talk about, so we're very excited. Yeah, no, a lot going on in college football, especially in the Big Ten circles, and it's great to be on with you guys. Yeah, so th- this is, uh, you know, it's that ancient Chinese curse, right? Like, may you live in inter- interesting times. Um, we are definitely living in interesting times as Ohio State fans, but we want to start out talking about uh, a couple fan bases that are maybe suffering a little more than we are, which is, uh, first of all, Nebraska, which just fired Bo Pelini, their head coach, and then, of course, Michigan, which just fired their head coach, Brady Hoke. I, I want to get your reaction, first of all, to the firing of Bo Pelini, because personally, I, I don't know that the dude should have been fired. I, I feel like maybe Nebraska fans and, and their administration, their expectations are a little too high, but I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like he was a good coach there for him. Yeah, I, I think as far as wins and losses, Bo did a really nice job. Um, I think this speaks to a couple things, guys. I think one is that Nebraska still aspires to be an elite program. And you know, as much as Bo won there, he didn't win a conference championship. And his team often lost in, in 
really bad fashion in some of the bigger games they played, whether it was their Big Ten debut in 2011 against Wisconsin or the 2012 Big Ten championship game or the game against Ohio State on the road in Columbus a few years ago, or, or the Wisconsin game this year, which is really the one that I think tipped the scales um, for, for his, his boss, John Eichhorst. But I also think if Bo had had this record, maybe performed a little bit better in those big games, and maybe hadn't been so volatile, I think he also would have survived, because that's sort of what Nebraska is. They, they want to conduct themselves a certain way. And I don't know if Bo's personality ultimately fit, what what they wanted from the leadership of their of the leader of their football program. So you know, it's always hard to to fire a coach. It's especially hard to do it when he's been as successful as Bo was at Nebraska. And there's risk involved, guys. I mean, they could slip back here, much like they did after they fired Frank Solich, who had the exact same record in 2003, and they went backwards under Bill Callahan. So uh, we'll see what happens. But I think this shows that Nebraska, whether it's realistic or not, still wants to be an upper elite program in college football and they're going to find out how how good they are and how good this job is uh when, when the search plays itself out okay so the follow-up question then is you know michigan has gotten rid of ready hoke they've they've tried rich rodriguez like the the complete like antithesis of michigan man football that quote quote unquote that they now are apparently rejecting then they hire brady hoke who is the embodiment of that where do they go now like who do they look for to try to write the ship well, yeah, there are certainly names out there. I think, though, that Brady's the, the identity that he wanted for the program is what Michigan wants. He just didn't deliver it. You know, he wanted to be a power-running team. Um, he wanted to be tough up front. And uh, you know, he recruited players that seemingly could do that. But for one reason or another, whether you know, they had the wrong quarterback or they didn't develop certain positions well enough or maybe they, they, uh, they, they didn't evaluate well enough, in the recruiting process, they didn't achieve that identity, especially on the offensive side of the ball. So I think the, the, the important thing for Michigan, whoever they bring in, is to have somebody who can develop talent and play ultimately, I think, the way that Michigan wants to play, which is like Alabama, like USC, a traditional type offense, maybe with some tempo, but then really solid defense. And they, they think they can bring in you know, elite players. And I, you know, I talked to coaches around the Big Ten even today, and they all say that the talent is there at Michigan but it hasn't been developed. So I think that's the top priority as they look for their next head coach. Adam, I want to turn our attention a little bit to the Big Ten superlatives and awards that just came out this week. And I have to ask, will an Ohio State <laughs> head coach ever win Coach of the Year in the Big Ten again? Is it possible? It hasn't happened I, I, since I don't, Earl Bruce. It's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. And, you know, I've taken issue with all Big Ten teams and, certain awards over the years, but I don't think there's a, a more ridiculous award than Coach of the Year, especially in this conference. Uh, it, it's, it's given out basically to the underdog coach who the media and coaches uh, think did the best job, and basically it eliminates certain coaches based on their perceived talent level, and, and Ohio State's been the number one victim of that. I mean, if Urban Meyer can't win it this year, when he loses the starting quarterback weeks before the season, has four, four new starters along the offensive line, He'll lose one of his best defensive players to suspension and no expense and, uh, and still can't win the award. And he's taking nothing away from Jerry Kill, who did a fabulous job. And I think if Minnesota had won the West Division, um, he would be a more deserving candidate. Uh, but, uh, but I think what, what Urban did this year is phenomenal, and he deserved that award. And so I, I'm completely with you on this one. And I would say it if I was on a, a Minnesota podcast, too, that even though I respect Jerry <laughs> Kill, he's a, he thinks he's a great coach. 
uh, Urban was absolutely snubbed for this award. And I, I agree. I don't think any Ohio State coach can win it. It's almost like they're eliminated entering the season. So I think the spirit of this award has really gone off track as people get overly sentimental and always want to find this underdog coach that improved the team, even though Minnesota's record actually isn't any better this year, uh, although the schedule's a little bit tougher. I actually think Tim Beckman was robbed. That's that's just me. Um, <laughs> maybe Daryl Hayes will be in the, the competition next year. Um, I, I agree with that. I think it is kind of silly. And, and you know, if, if Jim Trestle can't win Big Ten Coach of the Year, I, I think it's maybe just curse for Ohio State. Um, speaking of Ohio State, we, in, in being cursed possibly, uh, we, we lose our starting quarterback. That's that's pretty crazy. Um, how does this team respond? How does Ohio State respond to a really big challenge in Wisconsin? Um, what If you're Urban Meyer, what is your biggest priority this week? Well, I think it's ultimately the offense and, and finding ways to, to put Cardale Jones in comfortable positions. And, you know, starts with running the football. Uh, I think it would be really important for Ohio State to use what it still has. I think that's an athleticism advantage and a speed advantage against a really good Wisconsin defense, but one that's a little bit vulnerable on the perimeter. I'm talking to coaches in the Big Ten today and doing a scouting report on the game. You know, they, they, they mentioned that Ohio State has to go outside um, and, and try to use Jalen Marshall, maybe at quarterback from, from time to time, and, and use Cardale Jones' as speed and, and then also some of the other weapons they have in the run game to really attack uh, outside because Wisconsin's very, very good up front. They're, they're good up the middle throughout their defense, and uh, you know, it's a really underrated group, I think, uh, I think nationally. And then on the flip side, you know, Ohio State's got to be solid in the run game. And I thought their defense down the stretch was not at, the, was not at its best. Uh, this is a defense that a lot of people think is vulnerable despite there's some really good players, including Joey Bosa. But, uh, but they're, they're going to have to have an outstanding performance against Melvin Gordon and, and Corey Clement in that Wisconsin run game. The other thing I'll add, guys, is that Joel Stavi, you know, who, who began the season you know, being kind of mentally unable to, to play at all, uh, is playing really well here down the stretch. So Ohio State can't completely uh, uh, write off the passing game of Wisconsin because they're, they've, been, uh, they've been doing some things in recent weeks, including in last week's game against Minnesota. Alex Erickson had a huge game for them. So it's going to be a really tough week of preparation. But if there's a coaching staff that can get this team ready, in spite of all the all the, the the problems and obviously the tragedy that Ohio State's had in recent days, I think it's Urban Meyer and this coaching staff. Yeah, Adam, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. We talked about uh, Costa Cara George early in the show, and I mean, in your experience, you know what? How does a team generally react to something like this? Uh, you know, some some kind of huge tragedy like this. How does it affect them, especially going into a game this of this magnitude? Well, I think you know, in general, it, it bonds teams together, binds teams together, and you know, Ohio State players, you know, they all know what's at stake this week. Um, I think they're going to be incredibly focused. Uh, they, they've overcome adversity throughout the season. You know, obviously, this is a different type of adversity, and I know even though he was only a member of the team for a short time, it's always hard to lose somebody. That, uh, that 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 you were practicing with, that you were with every day. Um, so I think it's going to be an emotional game, but I think it's also one that that Ohio State will be ready for. Um, and when this team plays at its best, I had a coach tell me today that Ohio State's played at a seven for much of the season, but occasionally they they played at a ten. And you saw that against Michigan State. And if they can play that type of game, uh, even without JT Barrett, I think they're going to be in great position to 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 uh, to to win. I think it really benefits guys that they, this isn't their first trip to the Big Ten championship game. 
they, they've been there before, and it obviously didn't end well, but it's not a foreign environment to them. You saw that with Michigan State, you know, losing their first trip to Indianapolis, but, but, but uh, responding last year positively and winning that game. So that, that's definitely a benefit for Ohio State that they've, they've, been, they've been on this stage before. I kind of want to maybe pull out a little bit then, look at a, a more macro view of this. Um, one of the things that I'm always kind of curious about is how people react now to Urban Meyer now that he's several years into the program. I, I think a lot of people have this perception that he was kind of a headhunter. He'd be in here you know, for a few years, win some championships, and be out. You know, like, ha- has that perception of him changed? Because I feel like maybe people are starting to come around to the idea that he might be here a little while and that this is going to be something that he's going to try to build as opposed to just come in, be awesome, and peace out. Yeah, you know, you, you, you never know what his intentions will be depending on the jobs that come open, but I think you know, he wants to win a national championship at Ohio State. He feels like he can do that. He's got tremendous support from the administration um, as far as, you know, assistant coach salaries, facilities. The coaches ultimately want to be a place where, at a place where they can, they, they can win at the highest level. I think Irvin feels that he can do that at Ohio State, but, you know, if he wins a national title in the next two or three years or maybe two national titles, and certain jobs come open, maybe he does move. You never know that. But I, I do, I do see him. You know, not just spending you know three or four years at Ohio State, but but uh, as long as his health uh, holds up, which it seems to be, and, and his desire to coach is there, which it, it definitely seems to be, um, I, I see him in place for for quite some time. Adam, why don't we talk a little bit about the college football playoff and how it's shaping up? Ohio State obviously sitting in fifth right now. If no one ahead of them loses and they win the Big Ten championship over Wisconsin, do they get in the Final Four? I don't believe so. I think the, the statement that the committee made, you know, having TCU at number three ahead of an undefeated Florida State team, they, they, they really value TCU as one of the best teams in the country. And if, if TCU you know, beats Iowa State, which they should, and, and wins that game convincingly, which they also should, I, I don't see them falling out. You know, And certainly Florida State, even though they've been falling, in the playoff rankings, there's no way the committee will keep an undefeated Power Five team out of this playoff. So Ohio State needs some help. You know, they they obviously benefit from Alabama going down, or Oregon, or or Florida State. I, I think it's unrealistic to expect Iowa State to beat TCU on the road. So th- th- those are the three games Buckeye fans should be watching. I think it's good that they're ahead of Baylor still, and, and I think if Ohio State were to win the Big Ten championship game at a neutral site especially in impressive fashion against a good Wisconsin team. Uh, they would only need one of those three teams to fall uh, to, to end up getting into that playoff. Well, that yeah, that, that unfortunately I think maybe be the biggest uh, thing that we have to root for because it, it's going to be – I agree with you. I think the, the TCU uh, placement definitely was a statement by the committee. And, uh, you know, I, we got to look impressive on Saturday, but that's obviously going to be difficult when you're – your minus your starting quarterback. Um, Adam, thank you so much for coming on. I have one last question for you. Um, we we do this thing where readers ask us questions, listeners ask us questions, and I want to try to get our guests a little bit involved on this. So using your college football expertise, I, I really need to know the answer to this question. Um, what is Urban Meyer's favorite brand of cereal? Brand of cereal? Yes. If, if he So so what, what do you believe is, is his... Uh, his early morning cereal fix. You know, I, I see Urban, you know, he's not a guy that I think needs a sugar rush. I think he's probably right. like a, a solid fiber guy, so maybe something okay. like a fiber one or one of those nice. that, that kind of just does the job. And then you know, he's kind of like a saving. He just wants to 
to, 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 to keep it consistent and, and know what it's going to be and, and not have to worry about it. So I would, I would have him in, in one of those fiber, fiber-based cereals. <laughs> that's excellent. We said Wheaties. We felt he was a straight Wheaties that's guy. That's a good no one. I like out. that. Yeah, no, that's definitely possible. Nice. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for your input. We appreciate it, and we'll have to have you on again soon. You bet, guys, anytime. Thanks. Thanks. All right, thanks again to uh, Matt Fingus and Adam Rittenberg from ESPN for coming on and talking some Ohio State football, some Big Ten championship football, some larger macro college football. Uh, you know, this is an important week. It's a very important week. Um, is it? Not, well, not just because of football, not just because okay. of the game that's coming up, but also because there's been a lot of changes. You know, JT Barrett won freshman of the year. That's cool. That is cool. Joey Bosa. Defensive Player of the Year in the Big Ten. That's cool. Yeah, Urban they, Meyer, they, Coach they, of the Year. Oh man, <laughs> they did it again. The you know what? A high state coach has not won that award in like what, like thirty some years. It's, like it's, it's a not, joke. It, it's it's almost it's not going to happen. It's gotten to the point where the you know they just sit around and laugh and go, okay, who other yeah. than Ohio State is are we going to give this award to? It's just not going to happen. I, I've never. I, I've just stopped caring at this point. But the other big news is that we had a couple of major coaching firings in the past couple of days. So Brady Hoke is gone. Yes. Duh. Mm-hmm. All right. That, that's, that's the writing up was on that wall like back in September. Uh, but also maybe curiously, Bo Pelini is gone. Now, here's my question for you, Michael Citro. Yes. Let's let's go to an alternate universe mm-hmm. where Urban Meyer was not available to be the head coach of the Ohio State Buckeyes when, you know, Luke Fickle obviously wasn't the solution, and Jim Trussell left. A certain Bo Pelini, <laughs> who has a lot of ties to the program, do you think Bo Pelini, if he had been hired instead of Urban Meyer at that time, would still be the coach of Ohio State today? Well, first of all, I think this is what they meant on Community by the darkest timeline. <laughs> right, right. Um, <laughs> uh, Dude, if, if Urban Meyer wasn't available, I really think that would have happened. It could have happened. It, it, it very well could have happened. I yeah. think, I think yes, I think Pelini would have been the head coach still, and this is why. I don't think Ohio State's the kind of place where in just a few years, which Urban's now been three years here, right? Uh, I don't think it's, that Ohio State's the kind of place that would be impatient with the guy if he was winning nine to ten games a year. I, I think that it happens well, over time. It, it took it took a while to get Earl Bruce would go nine and three every year, and it took a while for them to to say, okay, we've had enough nine and three. Uh, John right. Cooper had a lot of mediocre years and some good years, and it took a while. You know what? He was here a decade, so mm-hmm. I don't think that Ohio State's that kind of place. If if he came in, was graduating his students, was competitive, was winning nine to ten games a year, taking the team to, to decent bowl games, I think he would still last you know three or four years easily. Interesting. See, here, here's my take on this. I don't, I don't think he'd be fired. I don't think he would be fired by now because you're right. We're not super far into the Urban Meyer tenure. I do think though that if he were only posting eight or nine win seasons, he would be on the super hot seat. Like next season would have to be at least a ten win season for him to to do it. Mm-hmm. Because I, I, I actually disagree. I think the, I think what Jim Trestle has done is changed the math on what is acceptable for an Ohio State football coach. Like, how many games is acceptable for a Ohio State football coach to win in a season? And I truly think that you have to be a consistent 10-win team, uh, you know, under a coach at Ohio State to be considered successful or even worth it. Because 
I just think the expectations are so high now. I, I just think because of the weakness of the Big Ten, because of what Jim Trestle has, the precedent that he set, like I think you have to be a 10-win team and compete for the Big Ten title on a regular basis, or that's it, or you're done. Mm-hmm. And I just think that's crazy because, you know, I, I in, in, in a weird way, I respect what Nebraska did by saying that's what we want to be. I don't mm-hmm. think that's who they are anymore, but – I just think it's really interesting because I do think that college football is the, – the game has changed. Well, here's the other and, thing. Speaking of the game has changed, here's the other thing. Nebraska isn't what it once was, and it hadn't been for correct. quite a while and a number Absolutely. of different coaches. And yet, Pelini came in and went 9-4, and 10-4, 10-4, 9-4, 9 10-4, 9-4, 9-4, 9-4, 9-4, 9-4, 9-4, 9-4, 9-4, 9-4, 9-4, 9-4, 9-4, 9-4, 9-4, 9-4, 9-4, 9-4, 9-4, 9-4, 